Welcome to the Protect Your Neck Podcast Breakdown Show for UFC Phoenix. You leave this sport the same way you come in, swinging. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Dark night. It's a dark night. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Protect Your Neck Podcast. I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst and writer for FlowCombat.com, MMALatestNews.com, and MixedMartialAnalyst.com, which is home to this year' podcast, the Protect Your Neck Podcast a podcast that focuses on high-level MMA. We break down UFC shows pre- and post-fight uh, to go along with my articles on flowcombat.com now, which I'll get to in one moment. And, uh, yeah, where we do our weekly top fives, which we did last week. Hope you enjoyed that episode. That was fun. Got to sit down with some uh, nice old frosty adult beverages with Robin Black here while he was in town, and we broke down the top uh, five BJ Penn moments, which was apropos to this week because, well, obviously UFC Phoenix is ahead and uh, we'll be doing the preview episodes uh, separately. Uh, doing this one solo, the first episode that never hit the airwaves uh, was actually solo because this podcast is mainly a solo base. I really wanted it to be like uh, Bill Burr's uh, The Monday Morning Podcast, very, you know, uh, me in front of a microphone and kind of going at it and pontificating going on. Um, trying not to tangent too much, but also, you know, getting guests on here as well. So I like to do that. Uh, next next uh, fight card, I should say, the uh, Shevchenko-Pena. I'm going to have uh, striking coach Angelo Reyes on, and he's actually going to help me break down. We're going to cut through that whole card. So that'll be nice if you enjoy, you know, uh, people that I would rather hear much more than me. So no, no feelings hurt there. If you enjoy that, I'll be bringing that to you as well. Otherwise, I will be... Uh, Keeping these ones short and sweet, uh, these previews, kind of cutting it down, especially cards like this. There's not a lot of not a lot of action. Um, we'll get to the, the plays that I do like here in a second, um, starting from the bottom to the top. But uh, yeah, as you may have heard, recently got signed on with Flow, kind of just to catch up on things since, you know, take advantage since it's just me here for a second. And uh, it is really awesome. It's a real honor. So what that means for you guys, a lot of people are asking, why isn't, you know, your breakdown of mixed martial analysts? What's going on? Everything will eventually end up on MixedMartialAnalyst.com. It's going to be all archived there. Um, I think we're working it out. I think it's going to run about three-day news cycle before I can really uh, put it on my, uh, on my site, um, which is fine. It's really not that big of a deal. Uh, you're going to get all that same analysis. We're, 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 we're pinning down the format right now. So everything you like, you're getting on Flow. So make sure you're following FlowCombat.com, first of all, for everything else they have there besides my breakdowns because they're really doing some cool stuff there. But, uh, yeah, uh, you know, don't worry about that. And I will still be doing work for MMALatestNews.com, you know, still doing some writings. I had my uh, uh, Jessica Andrade uh, interview. I spent some time with her out here at UNLV Boxing and got an interview up there. And also did a long form on BJ Penn. I really kind of poured my uh, heart into it to kind of uh, do this long form on this man's career. I've had so much crazy stuff historically. Um, uh, I don't know if it's pinned to my wall as we speak or as you hear this, but I'll definitely get it up there. I'll definitely uh, get it up to make some more rounds because uh, I really put a lot into it. And from what I'm seeing, a lot of the articles from really good writers, but just a lot of the articles I'm seeing on BJ Penn, and they're, it's really kind of disappointing me to see like really good writers kind of just follow this really basic narrative of like, he stinks. Like, yes, he, obviously, like the sky is blue. Can we uh, take a different angle? And, uh, you know, I, I I don't want to show my hand too early, but if you're listening to this, you follow my work. And you know, I picked the favorite fighter in that fight, so I'm realistic. I'm not. Uh, I'm not crazy, but at the same time, I I love the sport and I feel it's important to remember its history. So I hope you enjoy that top five with uh, Robin Black. I hope you enjoy that long form uh, with the uh, MMA latest. And yeah, you guys are going to be getting more content. So I know it's a weird transitionary period, but don't let the let, let it fool you. The more is better. And, uh, yeah, there's going to be a lot of awesome things coming your way. So that's why it was kind of perfect to start this podcast, the Protect Your Neck podcast. I was meaning to start, to be honest, in November back at the RDA Ferguson card and just week after week uh, through personal and business extra work stuff kind of kept coming up. But, you know, excuses aside, I I had to bring it up now. And I mean, 
kind of fighting a sickness and other things. It's been a busy week, but I'm glad, man. This is a perfect time to bring this because uh, with the content transitioning, I'm going to be doing all the betting, you know, fantasy talk, betting talk. Uh, and, you know, this is interactive. Use the hashtag Protect Your Neck Podcast and you can submit any questions, whether it's random technical questions or uh, you want a certain match broken down. Obviously, you know, I don't cover the undercards that in-depthly, so this is what we're going to do here in a second. And uh, please use that. Uh, obviously, we're just getting off the ground, so we didn't really get too much for this one. It's not a very popular card either. So again, um, just going to keep it short and sweet. Just wanted to kind of touch base with you guys, let you know what's going on, uh, the happenings, and and and, uh, and yeah, yeah, a little peek behind the curtain there. But let's not waste time. Let's get into this undercard. Uh, boy, um, we're going to start from the bottom, which kind of sucks because... <laughs> I don't want to come off like lazy or like, oh, I don't, you know, you know, um, <laughs> disrespectful, but man, this first card is a dumpster fire. Uh, <laughs> there's no other way to put, put it. Uh, it's a smoky lot versus surreal asker. So, um, yeah, that one, uh, we essentially have two guys who lost their first fights in the UFC and now they are coming back, uh, into the mix of things. Uh, Dimitri is a Russian wrestler. Uh, he's not a, he definitely doesn't have the uh, the Sambo prospects like, you know, a lot of the Dagestani fighters or I don't want to label off the Dagestani. I mean, generally Russian fighters, uh, a lot of them are Sambo, you know, practitioners. But, yeah, he doesn't have the uh, relentless wrestling like a Marat Belaev guy I really like in ACB who's now their current featherweight champion over there. Um, this guy, he just has awkward body mechanics. He doesn't even have the athleticism. I mean, uh, forget judging a book by his cover, which you could do, and it wouldn't do him too much favors. The guy in his striking and even in his, his grappling, there's certain body mechanics. And maybe in wrestling, he was he did he did all right. You know, I didn't get a, it. It wasn't really uh, too easy to find any wrestling footage on this guy, as far as any of that goes. But in that kind of sport where guys are kind of inherently forced to lock up with you, uh, you can kind of make up and succumb for a lot of those things. I don't think it's going to do him too much favors here. Surreal Asker, not a lot like uh, not a lot that jumps off the page per se, right? Um, he's not super athletic, although he does move deceptively well for a guy his, his size and his, his build. But uh, not a submission whiz, not a particularly threatening one shot knockout power like a Ninganu type of fellow, right? But uh, his movement, I think, is going to his movement and will aroundness is, is I think is what's going to save him. Um, you know, there's not a lot of guys to get excited for out of the French scene. Aside from Ninganu and a select few others, you know, MMA Factory is doing some good things, but Surreal Asker is not affiliated with those guys, um, literally, or, you know, as far as the plane of athlete and fighter. And gosh, I don't want to sound like too disrespectful saying that, but uh, yeah, um, I don't want to do any like typical awards. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not hating on anything, you know, as far as fight of the night, performance of the night, and all those, all those things. It's just kind of boring. Everybody kind of does it. So I'm kind of coming up with, uh, ideas and certain awards that you know kind of are fun names and a little different takes but let's mark that one down shall we ladies and gentlemen dumpster fire the night award <laughs> and uh, for what it's worth we'll mean that in complete respect is in dumpster fires and like keep your money away from it right okay so yeah uh the next fight it's going to be uh bohan mihalovich mihalovich yeah i'm trying to pronounce that i shouldn't have i should have just left it alone uh versus uh, joaquin christensen um this one, yeah, Joaquin Christensen is as a minus two forty. Pull it up on five dimes right now, but uh, yeah, and and man, I want to justify this is this is a fight he definitely should win. He's the much more dangerous fighter, but again, these guys are are uh, you know mid to lower tier foreign fighters, very low level uh, UFC experiences. I believe just one loss apiece, you know. And granted, I'm sure they're going to do much better than their debut. Um, not a confident one to put your money on. It's almost like in that debutante zone. You know, you always want to be careful of putting your money on debutante fighters, which we'll get to here in a second. Uh, Christensen, much much more weapons to finish this fight, though. Very dangerous on the feet uh, from the clinch to, you know, from his blitzing attacks at range. Hopefully he uses his range a bit uh, because he definitely is going to have it over the 5'11 uh, Boyan. I mean, that, this guy is not very big at all. Uh, that said, Boyan, he's pretty deceptive. I mean, he'll whip some, you know, pawing jabs that don't do much, and he'll whip some really hard leg kicks, though. And he closes the distance deceptively well. Um, he's got a decent shot, but he gets his best takedowns from the body lock, which could happen, you know, inherently against the taller guy. But uh, he'll have some knees to watch out for from Christensen. So that'll be kind of worth watching for there. Both guys 
uh, are really good when they get to the mount. You know, they both have different frames, but they utilize it well. Whether you're talking about, um, you know, Boyan's stout frame he uses to really ground himself on the mount to uh, Christensen, he really kind of abuses his long limbs and leverage kind of to his own disadvantage, where he gets aggressive on loose position like a lot of guys, right? But he really uh, can use his leverage really well uh, when he gets to those advantageous positions. He knows what to do. And uh, that's kind of why I'm siding with him here. He's, I think he's a better grappler. He's a better striker. Um, both guys aren't great at defense. So, I mean, uh, Boyan's overhand right's going to be live this whole time. The taller guy, you know, uh, that's where the kind of short stature kind of comes in handy, that, that overhand right for Boyan. So that'll be to watch out for here. But Christensen should win this fight. I hesitated to put him on my recommended uh, or, you know, is it recommended? Yeah, well, parlay piece, I should say. Yeah, parlay pieces, recommended parlay pieces uh, because of the price. And again, the intangibles, again, with with, with uh, the sample sizes, where they're coming from, etc. So uh, buyer beware there, but I like Christensen. All right, next fight here on the schedule will be Walt Harris versus uh, the Sherman Tank. I don't even know if that's his nickname, but I just see Sherman and... After watching his fight with Ledette, the guy just kept coming forward like a tank, which is very admirable. The lights didn't get to him. The pressure, the the, the physical pressure to the emotional pressure, because I think Ledette was uh, trash-talking him behind his jab as well, right? Uh, didn't get to Sherman in the sense that he didn't break, but unfortunately he didn't adjust. And not only did he not adjust, what he didn't adjust from was what, what looked to be pretty poor defense. Um, you know, maybe he's got better defense that he just hasn't shown, but from the footage I saw prior UFC um, that hadn't had developed yet. Uh, can it still develop? Absolutely. He he he's still a younger guy. He's not that uh, he's not that old. Let's see what his age is here. Off the top, oh, twenty seven. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's just entering his athletic prime to what looks to be an already athletic guy. But uh, Walt Harris is no athletic slouch either. He was also a college athlete. Uh, he didn't play football like Sherman, but he played basketball. And, uh, you know, he can sh translate and shoot a power double. I mean, he can smash from on top. Uh, he's picking up the stand-up better and better. He's, he's kind of getting a handle of his process and his emotions more, despite the rough start that Walt Harris had. Um, I, I do like Walt Harris here. Uh, let's see how much he's favored by. Um, um, by the way, I'm pulling all odds from five dimes I usually do for my articles. And five dimes has... Harris is minus 140. That sounds reasonable. I mean, this is heavyweight. Excuse me. And Harris has had the propensity to get finished because this is heavyweight, right? So uh, there's no surprise there. Um, I do think the prop, though, is out of proportion here. A lot of times for these fights, a lot of safe ways to play, <laughs> a lot of fights, a lot of angles. This fight does not go the distance, especially when you're getting like minus 200 range. Uh, it's a really good angle for fights where they're just really like gunfights and firefights on both sides where each guy can really pretty much off each other. Um, I think they overestimated it, though, for this, the odds makers, because they have it at a minus 240 currently. I uh, hate to timestamp episodes, but this is being recorded on Thursday. Um, Thursday the uh, uh, 12th. But, yeah, um, yeah, right now it's a minus 240. I think that, that that's too much because... We've seen it with Walt Harris before, especially, you know, granted, Shamil Durakimov can do that with a lot of fighters. Uh, but Sherman's pretty durable and doesn't adjust well, so we could potentially see a really weird fight that goes long past the over. Um, you know, I, I should say, not you know, canceling out that does not go the distance there. So I, I would be aware on all things. This, that's a big avoid. I, I'm playing nothing on that. Uh, so we'll just jump to the next fight, and that's going to be heading lining fight pass. Jocelyn Jones Leibarger versus Nina Ansaroff. Ansaroff is the favorite, as uh, I had it to, by not too much, slightly. Uh, and five dimes seems to be similar. Minus 145 for Ansaroff. Comeback on Leibarger, plus 125. Um, I have Ansaroff here. Um, I'm a big fan of Leibarger. I'll be rooting for Leibarger. I actually fought on the same card as Leibarger. Back in the tough enough days, her and her sister is really, they were really kind of heavily promoted back then. Um, Rousey, I think she just had her, by the time we fought on the same card together, Rousey had her last fight like a month or two before. And it was real clear that she was going to be big. So tough enough was really trying to get a lot of female stars. So 
Um, Jocelyn and her, her, her identical twin sister would be highlighting a lot of cards. I lost track of who was who for, for a while, to be honest. But I always kind of root for her now, and I see her, of course, you know, Tough Enough alum, represent. And, uh, yeah, but the, and she's really well-rounded. I, uh, she, she showed her some really good angles. I thought she earned the decision against Ryan and Marcos last time out. We're seeing her process finally start to come together much more under the MMA lab. We're seeing her hit angles, lateral movement. Um, that said, Nina Ansroff's no slouch, too. Even though she's been losing her last couple out, she's been competitive, and she's been showing improvements, too. She comes from that Taekwondo base, um, which I'm very familiar with myself being that I used, used to compete and have, have a history in it. And Ansaroff shows a lot of that upright stature uh, and kind of natural hop and bounce that you get from competing in Taekwondo for a while. I could spot it right off the bat. But from the Invicta days and prior fights, I should say, uh, to the UFC, her recent uh, two outings there, we've seen improvements, right? Uh, she's an American top team, and we've really seen it in her, you know, at least me at least, within her left hook. I mean, it's kind of both girls punch, but... But uh, seeing the improvements in Ansaroff's pivots and her footwork, it really punctuates well. It gets some pop to her left hook, and she's really been looking for that, hitting it a couple times. And uh, she's not quite there, but she looks like she's on the verge of making something click. I mean, her record's not impressive, but the records can be very, very, very deceptive at, at this weight class. Um, you know, you, you can't uh, you you can't judge a book by its cover. Again, I hate to keep using that cliche, but it it is true. The sample sizes are just kind of askew, uh, and the developments are kind of all over the place. But the developments are showing positive for both girls, so that's what kind of makes this one hard to hard to go with. I really wanted to go with uh, Live Barger, perhaps maybe it's because you know this happens a lot. A lot of times when I feel like um, it's it's not enough of a bias for me to state and avoid a pick, but there's you know. We all have a bias, right? Let's be honest with ourselves. If you don't admit that, you're way off in the first place. Should we shouldn't be claiming that you you, you can claim uh, you shouldn't be claiming that you know you can manage your biases. Um, I should say not 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 have no biases. But yeah, you know I think it does work against me sometimes because I'll I'll, I'll pick against these people where I'm like, ah because if I pick against them it's gonna look like it's because I like this person or have a small history or this or that. But no, no, honestly, when when breaking this down as 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 much improvements as Liebarger is showing, um, and as well-rounded as she is, at the end of the day, she's still too content, uh, too content for my liking. She shows really awesome composure. Uh, I like composure. It's, it's a character uh, I hold strong myself, or I hold, I value. I should say myself. Uh, that being said, oftentimes what comes with composure is complacency, and that doesn't bode well with the judges. So. You really have to see, you know, judge that with a fine line, uh, and see if fighters are judging their own performances with a fine line by that. Because I see Liebarger being too content to get pushed into the cage by an aggressive fighter, and I see that in Ansaroff. I mean, uh, she Ansaroff kind of got out, out aggressive. God, I'm using improper words all over tonight. I'm sorry, I've not slept well this week. Slept well this week, <laughs> and uh, yeah, excuses aside, I'm gonna I'm gonna plow through here. Um, yeah, Ansaroff. Uh, she kind of got out aggressed by Keish, right? Uh, Keish, very, very, very aggressive, very aggressive. Uh, and we see that a lot of times when these two bulls of fighters will meet. When you have the more durable one that has more, you know, volume, a higher pace, uh, we'll see that kind of take the other one out of their game. And I think that's what happened to Ansarov last time out. Obviously, I don't know. But but that's what it looked like to me from judging that fight. Uh, I think I think Ansaroff does well here. I think her front kicks will kind of throw off Liebarger's offensive rhythm. Liebarger kind of leans forward offensively naturally. But, uh, wow, I really went in-depth on a card that I am not playing, and I suggest you not play. The, not even the overline. At minus 290 right now is way too high. So we're going to go to the next fight here. Uh, Tony Martin versus uh, Alex White. Yeah, Alex the Spartan White. Um, this one at first, I was liking Alex as the underdog. I was almost surprised that Tony was as much as a favorite that he was. Uh, I cannot remember the opener, forgive me, but Five Dimes currently has it listed as uh, Alex White's plus 85 as the underdog, of course, and Tony Martin minus 225. Yeah, the minus 200s really just kind of threw me off and scared me away from Tony and had me looking at Alex because maybe it's because I've done a lot of tape study on Rashid Magomedov and Benil Daryush. So I've seen Tony Martin from the opposite side of my tape study a lot and usually losing, especially uh, recently, right? So that's kind of uh, in your head, and, or at least in my head, and 
and yeah, so uh, that kind of that kind of got me on uh, Alex White. But when I looked at it a little closer, I think uh, I think the line I don't think the line's justified, but but I think Tony Martin's uh, definitely uh, favored here. The reason being, um, you know, there's criticisms that Martin kind of checks out, um, whether it's psychologically, you could go as far as use the word uh, quit, which I don't like to use, and I mean not that it's you know, I'm above using that or we can't call a spade a spade, but you know, I, I just don't know that for sure. You know, he was facing a lot of guys to good guys to his credit, you know, that he got losses to, uh, Tony Martin, who I'm talking about. And, uh, is really tough. He was under heavy fire. Um, it's hard to say, but yeah, he definitely, what we can say though, right. Is he definitely does better early and if things don't go his way and as things progress, then maybe his chances lessen. Well, that is even more true in this fight because Alex White gets stronger as the fight progresses. Uh, that being said, Alex White tends to kind of fight at a plotting, certain plotting pace and it, it's worked and it's kind of played out. We've kind of got to see his skills in wins and losses and fights that were, you know, where guys wanted to contest in the same range as him and were willing to do that. Um, Tony Martin will not do that. Uh, say what you will, you know, Tony Martin's aggression will often, you know, leave him open for counters because he throws himself out of position. But that being said, that aggression, that same aggression opens up opportunities for himself because it pushes his opponent out of position. And I think that's what we could see here. Um, Alex White got a little bit of better grasp of things we saw after his uh, year and a half to two years stint away when he came back and faced Artem Lobov earlier this year. I was in attendance for that one. And you saw, uh, you, you saw him get a better grasp as the fight went on, but still anytime Lobov pressured uh, effectively or not creatively or not, he was able to push him to the fence. And, uh, that's where Tony Martin kind of does his best work. You know, Tony Martin doesn't have the best takedown percentages. If you look at, you know, those, those, those metrics there in UFC.com, they're very misleading a lot of times, I feel personally. But uh, he's really good at catching kicks, forcing scrambles, and again, creating those chaos. Uh, of course, it's chaos that can hurt him, but that's how it kind of that's how he kind of forces fights into, into scrambles and dogfights and gets fights to the ground more than the stats realize. And I think that's the same kind of nature that's going to serve him well against a guy like Alex White, who's going to want to stand there and box. So as much as I was tempted to take the shot on Alex White, I pass over underlines, props. Nothing looks tempting to me there. Uh, I passed on this one, but uh, that's kind of my take on it. Uh, if you were playing it, you can use my take as a reference. That's that's what my breakdowns were for originally, so that's what this is for here. This is just a reference. That's why all my content has been free, is free, and will be always be free because it's, this is just a reference. This is because I, I, I love it, and if you love playing it and love watching it, well, let's love it together. Let's help each other, right? All right, moving on. Hugs and kisses done. Olenek versus Pesta. This one, oh boy, this one's got a uh, fun written all over it. What I said earlier about uh, that those props where fight does not go the distance. This is a perfect example because both these guys um, are finishers, and you wouldn't think that from Pesta. Uh, you know, you, you have to go look at his uh, his fights outside the UFC. You're like, oh yeah, they were lo lower level competition, so of course you know Pesta was able to ra you know rack up finishes, but. Uh, you know, I think he's 13, yeah, 13 fights total here. And, uh, even though, you know, three of those were decisions that he, uh, he won, there's only one decision that he lost. So it's a lot of do or die. And I think the stat is, gosh, I should have it in front of me, but, uh, 12 out of these 13 fights, win or lose, he has established the crucifix position, which is pretty damn impressive. That's Victor Pesta. And if you don't know the crucifix position, if you're not privy to grappling, that's like Matt Hughes versus BJ Penn too. That's where Matt Hughes kind of finished Penn. Um, yeah, that, it's, it's a nasty position, and that's Pesta's bread and butter. butter. If he can get on top, it, it, it's a long night. That being said, that's Olenek's bread and butter is being on top, and especially from those you know side-ride catch positions. Olenek's the type of guy, he's got those you know almost like catch wrestling style finishes, like kind of like how uh, Barnett finished Lister. He's kind of got those, uh, um, you know, uh, he's really mean from the scarf hole. He'll set up uh, head and arms and uh, his mounts. And uh, he's even got like Ezekiel chokes, which, he's fa which he favors. He's got these really long arms, Alexei Olenek does. So it's, it's going to be a real interesting fight. But I, I favor Olenek on this because he's. I think he's much more potent inside the clinch. I think that's where this is going to go. Because I think uh, Pesta, even though he's developing, 
he doesn't look too comfortable on the feet. And Olenek's better there too. So he's going to push to grapple. And whether he's successful or not, he's going to push for that clinch. That clinch is going to be a key factor in this fight. And I think Olenek's better than there as far as defending takedowns, throwing elbows and defense, etc. When it gets to the ground, though, it can get crazy. Regardless, I don't see this fight going to the distance. And at minus 140 for a fight does not go the distance, I put a whole unit on that because I just think it's going to hit as simple as that. And I think it also makes for a really good parlay fart, fodder, farter. Yeah, yeah, farter. There we go. Parlay fodder. Uh, if you're in a house like five dimes, that will let you do that, of course. You know, other places like Bovada, which I also use. I'm not hating, but they don't let you do that, sadly. Wah, wah. All right. Uh, next fight while I take a swig of water. You'll probably hear it because this Yeti microphone picks up everything. It's pretty good. Oh, yeah. All right. Frankie Signs versus Tokino Mendez. Uh, this was another fight where I was like, ooh, underdog. Because, you know, well, we saw just saw both guys on an unfavorable fight. They both lost. And they both were stopped. But, uh, yeah, you know, um, that narrative, right? You want to think Mendez, well, he's got the talent to be good at anything. You look how good he was at Gi and No Gi and the you know, IBJJF, Jiu-Jitsu, Jiu-Jitsu World Champion, training at the MMA Lab. He's bound to put it together, right? He's young. Uh, Frankie Signs, it was a great story. No one expected him as a no-name, you know, older guy kind of coming in at a lower weight class that had, you know, flags written all over him. Boy, he gave, uh, he went on a run, gave Uri Faber a run for his money. Great story to get behind, like Frankie Signs. But there's that narrative where, is this the time where he's dropping off now too, you know? And, and it's real easy to go by that. If you want to play it, I don't blame you because... I stayed away from this, so, yeah. I, I could justify a play on uh, Tokino as well, even though I didn't officially pick him. But but I can't, because uh, Tokino, even though he's showing improvement in his striking, and it's really hard, there's short notice against Garbrandt. Um, and, and even then, he showed little improvements. And if you watch his fights in Legacy, or even prior to Legacy, uh, that being said, he still kind of has a plotty nature. And even though uh, MMA lab fighters are well-tooled and technical... Uh, you know, uh, I don't know if that's with uh, Eddie Cha or whoever else they have down there. You know, they also tend to be kind of plotty, though, too. Um, unless you're, you know, Benson Henderson or have these natural, uh, you know, inherent built-in things to your style. There's kind of a plottiness there. And uh, I see that allowing Signs to get his work rate off, who works, you know, much faster. Uh, he doesn't have the best defense, can be countered, as we saw with the Wineland fight. Um, and both guys really, I mean, you know, uh, Mendez is still developing a strike overall striking game. So obviously his defense is developing too, but, uh, his footwork and that's what troubles me. It's going to, I think it's going to allow science to get off. And I think it's going to allow science to push, uh, Mendez where he wants him to, which I think is between the inner black octagon lines and the fence. That's where Frankie signs is his best work. Um, that's where he stacks up his volume. Uh, w- that's where he'll take guys down, even though he probably won't do that here. Or he can push him into the clinch, start working knees and, and elbows that he's deceptively good off or good at. Or he's pretty good at, uh, you know, maintaining his range, kind of pulling, returning a bit and kind of prodding and, and poking at the guy before he shoots in or clinches or, you know, uh, not rushing his next move. In other words, you know, staying behind that jab. He does so many options there. And I think he's going to exercise those options um, in that space with Tokino. Uh, judging with the last fight, judging how dangerous Tokino can be in uh, transition. Um, I could see signs, you know, putting on a veteran performance, showing the maturity that resembles his age and, uh, taking it to a decision here. So, um, that said, I think the overline is set like at a minus 240 or something a little too high for my taste. So I'll kind of stay away from that. Um, yeah. And then the next fight here was, is, uh, let's see what's the next fight here. Powell versus Close. Uh, Powell is a guy from uh, looking for a fight series, but he's been around for a minute. I mean, uh, he's been fighting since 2010, a little break, I think 2012, a little break. You know, he kind of comes back and forth there. But uh, Powell, uh, I I liked what I saw. I mean, not just, uh, you know, points to him, first of all. He comes out to Pixies Where's My Mind for one of his fights, like back in 2012, which I'm a fan of. I'm a fan of the song. I'm a fan of songs you wouldn't think of for, for walkout songs. Uh, but I never thought of that song for it. So props, props to you, Mr. Powell, um, who I'll get your first name here once I pop it back up on my screen. But uh, no, there's some stuff I really like from him. You know, you can really tell he's obviously a long, lanky jujitsu guy. 
but it's kind of crazy. He Devin Powell, that's it. He he's he's six foot, but he you could tell he just he wants to, so hard to be a flyweight. He wishes so much that he was five three. With with the shot selection from trying to you know alternate head kicks from one side to another to you know going from defending a takedown to kind of pulling guard with the guillotine and trying transitioning to that trying to pop up for a triangle to rolling out from that and, and and but he's got this big lanky kind of clumsy frame about him so it's it's pretty it's pretty it's it's pretty entertaining to watch you, you're kind of questioning him and rooting for him at the same time with the decisions that he's making. But uh, that aside, he's shown to mature that up and kind of collect that uh, up a bit. He's got a really nice check hook, uh, very clean, um, like a cleaned-up version of Nate Diaz with his check hook, even though he is an orthodox fighter. Um, but, yeah, it's, 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 there's a lot of things to like about him. Um, I was kind of surprised. I thought, you know, looking for the fight, maybe, you know, I could see why most people, you know, it seems like those guys are cursed, at least in their debut fights. Uh, but you know, let's see if that narrative's outweighing it here. Cause this guy looks pretty technical. You know, I think, you know, Powell's got a good chance, but then I looked at, uh, close and, and close at first, maybe it was the fight that I watched. Uh, he did not look that impressive to me, but you saw a lot of athletic potential. Then in the other fights before and after you really could kind of see more glimpses of it. And of course, after more recently, He's really developed that. I mean, he's been training at the MMA lab for a while, kind of taking it under the wing of guys like Benson Henderson, who he idolizes, and uh, and 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 there's and there's a lot to like there. He knows kind of when to when to bail, and he doesn't really seem to overstep his bounds, even though he may have aggressive amateur tendencies other you know elsewhere in his game, which makes sense. He's only you know seven fights into his professional career. He's a young guy, close is, and uh, but that's other you know there's a lot to like. He's he's got. He's got, I dare say, one-shot power, even though he doesn't have a big sample size to pull from for that. But when you see him hit and how it affects guys, you know, you see it's definitely there. It's more just putting his technique together, putting his processes together, establishing what those processes are. I mean, it's a growing, it's it's grow, it's a growing, uh, it's a, oh, excuse me, it's a growing phase. Boy, I may, I didn't even do beer this time, and I'm still kind of like burpy. I'm, uh, I just, I just had a swig of water for the sake of my mouth, but, uh. Drinking some bullet bourbon here with uh, some whiskey rocks because real men drink whiskey neat. We don't brutalize it with water or ice cubes. Uh, I'm just I'm just hating on people. If if you drink your whiskey, that's fine. But but yeah, I, I like my I, I like my neat. That's that's, that's the way to go. Uh, anyways, uh, random side tangent. But yeah, um, I like close here. Uh, I I think uh, I, I I think he's going to be able to capitalize on some of the. Uh, Defenses of the taller guy getting in under him. Uh, I like him uh, in the clinch, but again, this is not one where I really feel strong about him or or the other guy. I, there's still a lot I want to see. There's still a lot to be desired from from each man here. These are debutantes, so as is kind of a good general rule, unless I'm seeing something that really itches at me, where a guy has both athletic and ad- attitude intangibles, which are becoming more increasingly prevalent for these good debut performances. I don't touch him, and I'm not touching this one. Uh, and that kind of concludes the undercard so we're going to take a quick break here and uh, when we come back we are going to break down we because it's just me right break down the main card whopping four fights but they are fun ones for UFC Phoenix go get a drink come right back Time to break down the main card for UFC Phoenix, which is great because this is also where most of my plays that I made were at. Because these are uh, a little more notable cards, a little more fun matchups, uh, guys we know more about at the end of the day, right? So we're going to jump to the flyweight opener. Uh, this wasn't the original opener. I can't think of what it was off the top of my head. I don't really care to stop and think about it. So let's move forward. It is John Moraga, who in his profile picture looks like the dude from Game of Thrones, the eunuch uh, slave guy to uh, the, the princess with the dragons. Wow, terrible at names and describing that show. My girlfriend would be very disappointed in me right now. But uh, yeah, 
He looks like that guy. Anyways, and Sergio Pettis, of course, the younger brother of Anthony Pettis, who will be fighting John Moraga. Um, this is one where, again, it's like, oh, wow, you know, one of the narrative Pettis brothers. Oh, downfall. Oh, it's, here's an upset. No, no, it doesn't play that way, unfortunately. This is, these are two guys who I've both done a lot of flipping on. I should say not a lot of flipping as in back and forth, but I've done a big flip from one side to the other in the last year and a half to two year span on each guy. Um, Moraga burned a lot of guys, including myself, who kind of had a lot of faith in him his last time out against uh, Matthias Nicolo. We kind of forgave Moraga for his activity-lulling sensibilities. And, um, and we, yeah, I mean, I just thought his, uh, thought he'd be able to find the finish there against a, a younger guy. And the price was kind of off at maybe, you know, lower 200s, I believe that one was, but it kind of was ended up being that key parlay piece, I believe. He was one of the more sure shots, or at least so it seemed on paper, than a lot of people. And uh, ended up ended up costing a lot of people that night, I, I, I remember. But that has nothing to do with this pick here. Um, unfortunately, though, for Moraga, what does have to do with this pick is his activity lulling, um, aforementioned tendencies. Uh, you know, he, he shows improvements. He throws some really wicked leg kicks, and he has a counter right hand. It's going to be his... Without a doubt, his best shot to win this fight. That'll be live, his counter right hand. Um, but he doesn't throw enough volume, and I think he's going to be outpointed. Sergio, I think, is actually a lot better than his brother. Um, yeah, I remember watching Sergio fight a couple professional fights, and he fought a, a good buddy of mine, Jimmy Jones. Shout out to Jimmy. But uh, fortunately, Jimmy uh, uh, lost that fight by decision. Um, and of course, I was rooting from, from a man there, but I uh, was really impressed um, watching a young... In, er, even younger at this time, uh, Sergio Pettis, uh, superior, this was a superior cage combat, I believe. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Justin Buckholtz, by the way, uh, scored a front kick, uh, knockout, uh, Anderson Silva, uh, and Leota Machida style on that same card, I think, which was pretty, pretty noteworthy. But, uh, yeah, uh, I was really impressed with Sergio Pettis. Um, you know, this was when he was competing at 135. He was having to close the distance, you know, and still, uh, land head kicks on much taller opposition, and he was doing that even in an amateur day. And uh, you know he's really um, he's really he's really translated his skills really well. You know a lot of uh, point karate and taekwondo guys, which I come from a little bit of both those backgrounds. Uh, you get that in and out range, and and that's the one thing you get that's good from it, right? It's that sense of range. Um, how you apply that is what separates the guys that are successful in mixed martial arts, the guys that are not. But the pro the common thread that you often get from those bases, or at least you see in fighters is their understanding of range. They can dart in and out because, you know, um, you know, that's the kind of things that I tell people, like I don't have a lot of, you know, amateur fights in boxing, kickboxing or MMA, but when you have punches and kicks thrown at you for 20 plus years from when you're a little kid, it, it does give you a certain type of understanding and comfortability that makes you kind of more comfortable in these combat ranges and you see Sergio Pettis not only has that but he unlike most of us he's parlayed it really well um, into more traditional realms of striking uh, mainly pulling and returning uh, which is a boxing technique you're pulling back and you're kind of you know you're drawing out attacks and as you pull back uh, to the attacks that you draw out because you're anticipating them oftentimes even drawing them out with feints the return, pull, hence pulling and returning, the return part of the equation is, well, a little more easier than to decipher, right? You're returning punches. And Sergio parlays that in-and-out movement really well in the way that he pulls and returns, and I really like it. And uh, he seems to just kind of has, has an eye for, for, for techniques, you know? A lot of times when you're a smaller guy, especially when you're uh, fighting older men, because you're a smaller guy, you're in martial arts when you're really young, and you have an older brother, so you're scrapping with your brother all the time, and your brother's a martial artist. Uh, Sergio was going to be involved in fighting whether he liked it or not. Um, this is a real common thread. I, you know, you, you see it if you grow up with brothers, or uh, you see it amongst the top fighters in the sample size, you know, Weidman's and these other guys who have brothers, and a lot of times they, just, they grow up in that competitive nature, kicking the shit out of each other there goes the explicit kicking the shit out of each other and um and yeah and certain and sergio definitely has that has that kind of calmness and craft of a fighter who who 
who's experienced punches and kicks for a long time, I guess, for lack of a elegant way to put it. Um, I see him and his volume paying off here. Uh, even though Moraga is the All-American wrestler, I think Pettis has a wrestling advantage. He's a better shot, a better reactionary shot. Moraga is a guy, and this is probably carryover from his wrestling. Uh, he is more reliant when a guy is willing to engage with him, right? Inherently with the grappling, because he works much better from the clinch. And uh, he can do well if he gets there, but it's going to be tough with uh, Sergio. It's going to be tough to pin him against the fence. And I think if it goes to the ground, it'll be on Sergio's terms. And even on Sergio's on his back, he shows really awesome wrist control. He he does some really good things there that that's worth looking out for. But uh, you know, all in all, I, I think Sergio's going to fight smart. He's overdue for a mature performance. He is showing a lot more maturity for his age than you know perhaps he's given credit for. And Moraga is not that dependable. He's tough. He's on a. He's backed in a corner. He's on a two-zero skid. So he's definitely not going to go down without a fight. But when you mix those two things together, I think what you have is a Sergio Pettis decision. So I played Sergio Pettis by decision at a plus twenty, plus one twenty-five. I think it's dropping fast. So you might want to get on that. I put a half unit on that one because I think it's it's going to. It's a pretty pretty confident it's going to hit there. That's my play on that one. Let's let let's move it on. Let's continue. Probably talking too long about a lot of these fights, but in case you're pondering a wager, I hope this analysis is at least helping you. All right, Court McGee versus Ben Saunders. This is one I said to stay away from on this fight. This is intangibles written all over it, but it's deceptively an action fight. I mean, McGee doesn't have the most finishes. He doesn't have the stopping power. Um, he's not going to exactly throw an omoplata on you like Ben Saunders might try to do. But he brings it. He consistently, he's consistently there. He's not afraid to engage. He has deceptively good footwork, not just in and out, but deceptively good lateral footwork. Um, McGee is a deceptively good athlete, despite his knee injury. I mean, you know, he hasn't looked as good, so there's a definitely a strong argument there that the knee injury affected McGee. But nevertheless, he he moves he moves better than you think he would pre and post. You know, and just watching his fights. Um, but Ben Saunders, you know, say what you will. Uh, you know about you know oh suspect chin or this or that or he has more tools to win this fight and I think that's why I sided with him. That's not always you know the key on why you should side with someone to win a fight, but he does have more tools to win this fight. Um, even though he doesn't have the footwork, uh, Saunders you know Saunders is awesome. He really applies a lot of traditional martial arts and different types of martial arts, but he is more of a Muay Thai guy, so he, he likes to plot a little more. So he's going to be at a footwork speed and movement disadvantage. That being said, he's got he's really you know. Hard tie kicks that kind of sweep the range and corral, you know, people into his kill zone, so to speak. So I think those are going to serve him well in this fight. Maybe even his teeps to kind of disrupt Court McGee's offensive rhythms, which which will be a huge key to beating a guy like McGee, who's really dependent on those in and out offensive rhythms. Um, and on the ground, you know, although McGee is really tough to take down and get a hold of, if it goes there, Saunders is going to have the advantage. Um, I say stay away. But I favor Saunders if, uh, if for a pick, uh, and that, that was my official pick here. Uh, I believe I had it. Did I say inside? No, decision. Yeah. No, yeah, it makes sense. Decision. McGee's really tough. I know his tin got, chin got kind of tested a little bit ago by Ponzinibbio, but Ponzinibbio can crack. And not that, you know, Saunders can, especially if you get in his tie clench, he can absolutely crack. It's not so much in his fist in the same way, right? And uh, I think there's going to be a lot of boxing and long range in this fight, so. I think uh, I think it's maybe longer to a decision, but again, who knows? That's why I told you to stay away from it. So listen to my words here. Listen to my words in my breakdown. Stay away from that. Just enjoy it. All right, next one: Joe Lozon versus Marcin Held. Uh, this one was fun. I had the initial opinion everybody else did, but my opinion, unlike others, because this line keeps shrinking, so the opinion, as it's now, I believe, even minus one fifteen is getting smaller. Um, yeah. Uh, I have a strong opinion on this one. I think Joe Lozon takes this all day. Joe Lozon said it the best. He's fighting himself, but from six years ago. Because Joe Lozon has gotten better. Joe Lozon used to gas out when he couldn't sell out for the submissions or when selling out from the submissions didn't work. Kind of like Marcin Held does, right? We saw that in the George Sotteropoulos fight. But as he's gotten older and more mature... We've seen Joe be more reserved in both victories and defeats, um, and, and, and he's willing to kind of play things out. He's willing to play a top position, you know. He's always had a good top game. He's just been so, so darn aggressive that he uh, 
he'll often, you know, play against it, lose it, and just go for the submission instead. But he's shown to kind of change that in, in years recently. I think that's going to serve him well here. On the feet, it's a little tricky. You know, both guys like the left hook, but the you know the old boxing adage: do not hook with a hooker. And I think Lozon has better hooks, uh, technically, and and more importantly, I think his are going to do more damage because Held stays loaded to his power side. So as an orthodox fighter that Held is, it means he's going to stay loaded to his right side, which puts him right in that lane of Lozon's left hook. And that left hook for Lozon has been something that's been money for him. You know, going all the way back to his Kyle Bradley, Jens Pulver, early UFC days. He's had a good grasp on how to generate power from his left hand. I think that'll serve him well on the feet. And the leg locks, everybody's, oh, leg locks, leg locks. As somebody who's really has a, a an affinity and passion for leg locks, was trained by a very, very competent uh, leg lock coach, um, uses them a lot in grappling, trains with a lot of guys who are always fishing for my legs, who are far, far, far better leg lockers than me and kill me in that. Um, it's something that I... I'm a, I dare say that I'm a, I'm a bit proud of my insight on as far as not proud I should say a bit um ah, confident confident I should say not proud confident on my insight on uh, because I see a lot of the grappling insight seems to be a generally the weakest insight out there as far as um analysis goes for the most part and b leg locking is a really tough thing to get even within the grappling world even if you're a grappler um. It's very looked down upon, first of all. I've been, I've had very almost borderline kicked out of schools, some traditional gi schools for just going for a leg lock because um, it's an equalizer. You know, it's, it's the one move where a white belt can get a black belt. It's a leg lock. And uh, it's, it's such an equalizer. So a lot of guys, when they discover that, it's hard for them to get away from that. So that's why you see leg lock guys really live and die by that moniker and, and, and embrace, embrace it by being almost solely leg lock guys, right, uh, for the most part, and uh, Ian Entwistle, Paul Harez, etc. And uh, that's the danger there. That that definitely is the danger there. But Lozon and Held are a bit crafty in how they do it. Lozon a little underrated. I mean, he has leg lock finishes from his amateur to early pro days. Um, Lozon, probably why I like him a lot. I identify him with a lot. He's more of a kind of a, a nerdy guy who embraced grappling and. You know, even though Lozen's not traditionally ranked like Held is in, in a jiu-jitsu with a gi and a belt, he's a guy who really embraced the no-gi and no rules, just using his head and trying to get results in combat. And that kind of seems the guy that Lozon is. I really appreciate that. And it really shows. So I don't think the leg locks are going to surprise him. Furthermore, often when you get uh, battles with guys with two leg locks, kind of, uh, you know, uh, Harkening back to what I was saying initially by, by my experiences with leg lock guys, when, when you like leg locks and you roll with guys like leg locks, it's not who has the better defense or offense because it's not about who's going to get who offensively or who's going to succumb to who defensively. It's about who's going to use the leg lock to scramble for an advantageous top position. That is the quiet decider in those exchanges. And that's where I think Lozon's uh, going to do well. He's done that before when people have gone for leg locks on him. Uh, we saw it just as recently, I think, his last fight against Jim Miller, who's really good at getting underneath and debasing his opponents for you know knee bars and other kind of attacks uh, Jim Miller is. And Lozon dealt with that very well, uh, despite losing a very close, close uh, contested, uh, some would say controversial, which I don't have a problem. I love both guys. But yeah, anyways, neither here nor there. Uh, decision to Jim Miller. But I think Lozon can use these opportunities to not only defend against Held, but get on top. Um, that being said, I don't know if Lozon's going to get it done by strikes or submission, but I do see him getting it done inside the distance. So I played him at a unit inside the distance at plus 269 because I wasn't sure, you know, to go the plus 500 uh, area neighborhood for sub or, you know, the TKO, which is very possible. Held's a tough guy. He does not go down without a fight, but he gets tired and he's a very do or die mentality type of uh, gentleman. And against a finisher, a guy with killer instinct like Lozon, who has finished some of the toughest guys to finish, right? Um, I, I feel confident in the finish. Not only that, there's always at least one fight where I say the round three prop is worth a look at because a round three prop, you always want to look at a guy who finishes, who, who who comes on strong late or just has a propensity for a finish against a guy who fades, right? A do or die fighter who has to live or die on a shield, which means if he doesn't finish early, that means he's probably going to get finished between, you know, round two to the end of the fight. 
That's when round three props are live. That's when I felt it was live here. Uh, Lowe's on round, round three. I think it's plus one sixteen, uh, plus one sixteen fifty right now. I kind of got it when it was lower. If I'm being honest, uh, plus uh, one thousand uh, one 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 three two five one thousand three hundred twenty five. Uh, comeback. Uh, I just did a quarter unit on that bad boy because I think it'll happen late. Again, Lozon has addressed his cardio issues. I think it's going to pay off. All right. Um, I think this is where my plays end because we go now to the main event. Yair Rodriguez versus BJ Penn. Uh, again, um, to pay respect to the man that, you know, often a lot of people aren't right now. You know, you, you go on Twitter and it's pretty much just negative stuff back and forth. And, uh, it's just surprising, you know. Again, it's it's surprising. Essentially, it's like you're saying the sky is blue. Uh, we all know his best days are behind him. So, again, um, I really hope you check out my long-form article. I really hope you take the time, if anything, to appreciate um, what the hell this guy's done for the sport, you know, before Mac life, before all these things. BJ was doing that, man. He was, he was you know, he may have done it at the same time, but he was attempting it, even if he botched his opportunities, which I talked about. Uh, you know, he was embodying that spirit and he wasn't doing it for the money. He was doing it for the love. UFC, it took them four tries to establish a freaking lightweight division. Four tries. I don't know any other division they failed, right? They're adding divisions we don't even, we're not even asking for at this point. That's how successful they are. But there was a point where they couldn't even get 155, which has long been the most stacked division in MMA and the UFC. And uh, BJ was that guy. So lighter divisions before that, under that, women's divisions. Um, BJ was the first open in those doors. So you don't have to like him. You don't have to be a fan of him at all. But to deny his place in history, you're fucking silly. All right, moving on from that. I did not pick BJ Penn. I don't think he's got a good chance here. All the nice things I just said out of, out of him. Boy, um, it's it's really rough to defend the dude here. Um, you know, I'm, I was thinking I'm going to homer because I oh, Dan's Hawaiian, he's going to homer for him. Like you know, hey, we've got we've got we've got much better Hawaiians to homer for in names of Max Holloway right now and others. Uh, it's it's not about that. Um, uh, as my pick here is Yaya Rodriguez. Uh, I I put decision, but I'm well aware that a, a late finish is is more than probable. The only reason why I put decision is because I think that this fight is deceptively closer, even though I'm picking Yair. I think it's deceptively closer than it is. And I think BJ is, um, sadly, not as durable as he was, but sadly still durable. And I say sadly because he has that record for never being knocked down, even though he's been stopped. And these guys with a great chin, as proud as it is to say, man, as science and information comes out, these guys are the guys that are getting it the worst, and, and they're ending up worse for wear um, as far as punching and stuff is being concerned. And I only wish for the best for BJ, so I hate to even say that, but yeah, let's be real. The dude's taking some damage, and uh, as tough as he is, oof, that's a that's a rough double-edged sword that's hard to answer for on the other side. Um, so Yair could absolutely starch him with a head kick in the first round. I'm not, believe me, that would not surprise me. But if that fails... Um, Yair's going to be, I think Yair could be in trouble here. You know, uh, Yair, he's, he, he's making a lot of improvements, but he's still largely a one-sided fighter. Uh, he mainly kicks from his right side, unless he's punctuating the kicks with his left, a la, a la Andre Feely finish, which was amazing. Um, but m- more importantly, his boxing range, his boxing still hasn't developed that well, and he barely punches from his left side. Uh, he only clocks, I think five to 10 strikes from his left side per round, not including ground strikes. That being said, he showed improvements to his head movement and boxing range, and he showed improvements to his left hand because he was able to hit Alex Caceres with some left crosses from the southpaw stance on multiple occasions in his fight. So the fight-to-fight potentials are alive and well in Yair Rodriguez. That's another thing to you know incorporate here. He could very well shore up the holes that me and others have critiqued. Uh, you know, this guy's amazing. He really does amazing stuff. Critique is such an unfair word. Uh, word to use for either of these men for different reasons. Um, they both deserve respect for different reasons. And uh, yeah, yeah, y- Yair can definitely get stuff done on the feet, but his defensive wrestling still is not, um, you know, the strongest. A lot of it, I think, is, a lot of his success in defense, I think, comes from, you know, his natural athleticism, his base, his balance, and those things kind of getting him through. I, I don't, 
I don't think it's necessarily, you know, um, he's grasped a hold of his techniques to where this can be a consistent thing. You know, that being said, he, he's more than likely a fight or two away from showing us that it could be a consistent thing. So don't take me too seriously on that, please. Um, that being said, if anybody has an underrated part of their game for wrestling, it's, it's BJ Penn. It's, it's always been a very strong part of his game. He, he picked it up very naturally early on from, you know, even, you know, arguably even prior to working with Team Quest before that Matt Hughes ascension, you know, he showed some good wrestling. Um, but yeah, he, he he could more than likely do the approach that he did with the John Fitch fight where he can remind you that, hey, you know, I'm BJ Penn and I'm stubborn, but I also have veteran craft and I can close the distance deceptively well and wrestle when it benefits me and surprises the other guy. And that could very well, uh, you know, do it here. Rodriguez, he's not doing needless leg entanglements and other stupid stuff that he used to do, like... Everybody would be like, oh, look at how he's entangling them. And he would have no submission. He would have no sweeping and bargaining leverage. He would have an awkward lockup at best. And just hearing commentators like oogle over it was kind of painful um, when there really wasn't anything there. Nor did he make anything of those positions ever. Uh, that being said, Rodriguez has improved. He's not so willing to get in those because those will get him in trouble. Uh, say what you will about Penn. I'm not expecting him to do his upright, stupid boxing style. And even if he did come up with that style that, you know, people seem to think he's going to come out with, even though BJ Penn has the widest ranging sample size of any active fighter, yet people are just pulling from one fight because you know, that makes a lot of sense. Anyways, uh, even if he does do that, you don't just forget how to grapple. Um, he's, you know, his, from his leg weaves, his chair sets, his his passing ability, just pure and outright. It's just, it's it's amazing. It's, you know, watching him operate against Kenny Florian was like watching a Nature Channel documentary. It was amazing. Um, he's not to be underestimated there. If Yair's going to get caught speeding in this fight, I believe it's going to be on the ground. You know, although BJ, I want to say that his counter right hand's still alive. live. Um, a prime BJ's counter right hand would just own Yair in boxing range all day in this fight. But we're not dealing with a prime BJ. I would love to see something close, but I'm not expecting it, nor could I honestly base my analysis off it. So the pick here is Rodriguez. He's probably going to get it done early. I'm probably going to cry. Feel free to laugh at me on Twitter at the MM Analyst and uh, rub it in my face. But uh, I don't know if you'd be rubbing it in my face. I'm calling him to win, but, you know, I'm not going to lie. I'm an unabashed Penn fan here, right? Um, you know, as a, you know. As Asia-Pacific Islander, we don't have a lot of role models in the athletic or, you know, movie or entertainment, arts, or whatever. Oh, don't get started on the arts. I better not say that. People are going to get all nuts. But, uh, yeah, um, so, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm not going to bullshit you and say that I don't have a bias. But by pick aside for Rodriguez, I think it's fair to say that I think I represented this fight fairly. My breakdown fairly on here. I'm not telling anything you don't know. I'm not you know, posturing with my nose in the air to tell you that the sky is blue. Um, you don't need me to tell you the sky is blue. That's for damn sure. I'm just here to give the best opinions I can from the experiences that I have uh, from getting my ass kicked a shit ton of times. Uh, and I hope this was useful for you. I know this was a bit kind of short, sweet, maybe longer than it needed to be uh, at times too. Um, but I want to give you guys that reference point. We're going to have uh, Angelo Reyes on the next one, which will be fun. We'll probably do an after-party edition. Me and Brian will probably be watching these fights. I'll be back from California. That's it. I'm going to California tomorrow for ACB 51. If you're going out there, holler at me, even though as you hear this, it'll be the day of the fights. So, yeah. Anyways, but I'll talk more about that ACB event. Um, I got to pick up my tickets from uh, from Frank Meir and Brian Lacey, who will be commentating. So, it be good to see those guys. Excuse me. And meet them in person. Um, both of them have awesome podcasts. Lacey is the play by, or, yeah, the play by play commentator. Does a one punch podcast with Brad Pickett and phone booth fighting, of course. Frank Mir, the legend, he does that with Richard Hunter. Both good guys. Richard Hunter should be there. I'm definitely gonna uh, say what's up to that guy. Fan of all those dudes. Fan of all their podcasts. Fan of all their work. You should be too. Uh, and of course, thank you for being a fan of my work. Uh, participate here. We didn't have a lot of participation, so hence uh, you didn't hear me. Uh, pulling out any hashtags from the mailbag, but if you mail me, I will answer. Use hashtag protect your neck podcast to participate. Enter your top five list questions, uh, breakdowns, betting questions, anything, even relationship stuff. I'll make fun of you. I'm terrible at it. Probably shouldn't ask me any of that stuff, but go ahead and just ask me whatever you want. I will answer it. 
Uh, follow me on Twitter at the MM Analyst. My breakdowns again will be dropping on Flow Combat. Thank you to the Flow family for welcoming me. Thank you everybody for your support uh, and your kind words for congratulating me. You'll still be able to find my work on MMALatestNews.com. I have a long form on BJ Penn, a Faith and Fire, the poetry of BJ Penn. Go read it now. Follow this podcast at the PYN Podcast. Everything, all my content can be found at MixedMartialAnalyst.com. Enjoy your weekend. Be safe. Don't put ice, cube, or water in your whiskey. And until next time, protect your neck.